what we're going to do is we're going to start, we're going to begin lesson two on the key to the universe. So if you have your Bibles here, what we're going to do is, is we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to turn to Genesis chapter one, and we're going to take a look there in Genesis chapter one and in verse 14. So we're going to, folks are still milling in, what we'll do is we'll give ourselves a little bit of time to, um, to get there. The key to the universe. Let me pull this up here and get it started. Computer's working good right now. I have a lot of patience with people, no patience with technology. So when the computer is not working, then there's problems because I paid for the computer and it's supposed to work, you know. So last week we looked at how massive God is and in light of the enormity of the Creator, we got some perspective on just how small we are, how small man is. Look up at the sky and we talked about how you can't, you get to a place with the numbers, you can't fathom the numbers. They're, we're just so small. So what you do is we try to shrink stuff down a little bit and then that gives us a little bit of perspective. We saw how big God is, how small man is, yet man says, look what I have built, look what I have done. And we look up at the heavens and we say, well, there's no way there could be a God because he would have manifest himself to me always or before this. And then we go on thinking that we are the masters of our own existence. And when you look at uh, creation, when you look at science with an open mind, you're like um, um, Albert Einstein who says we have to feel humble in the presence of a power that is greater than we are. We also learned that a common agreement between Big Bang theorists and intelligent, intelligent design scientists is this. Two main things. We're going to see another one later here. Is that the fundamental understanding of the existence of the universe is that it had a beginning. Everything had a beginning. That's a part of our lives. That's, uh, we see that each and every day. There are beginnings. The next thing we see is that, or an agreement, is that whoever or whomever or whatever created the universe must be bigger and more powerful than the universe itself. Okay, so those are some agreements that we have there. The Creator, therefore, is not bound by His creation. So we looked at last week at how the Creator is greater than His creation. He must be, and that's something that is not disputed in the, in the science community at all. Now remember, this series is not about proving the existence of God. Okay? This is not to prove to you or people out there that God existed. Jesus himself said, if you want to see a sign, he said to the generation that sought a sign, where should they go look? The book of Jonah. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, well, look up at the stars. And he, he didn't do that when he talks about his truth, okay? He said, go look at the book of Jonah. It's interesting because that's one of the most ridiculed books in the Bible. And he said, you want to hear about me? You want to see? You want to see the sign? Go read the book of Jonah. Here, it's right here. You want to go read it. So my challenge to you all and to people out there would be if you want to find the existence of God true in your heart, read his word. And that is what will change the heart of man. These lessons are to bring into perspective, our, uh, uh, bring things into perspective for our own narrow minds. And our minds are narrow. Why? Because that's all we have to work with. We're really not that smart. We're not as smart. I know a lot of people out there that think they're really smart. They're we're really not that smart. So what we have to do is we have to bring things down and we 
have to see and we can reason and we try to understand, but we get into trouble whenever we start to speak for God. And get this, whenever we start to try to understand what God is thinking and what God means outside of the scripture. That's where we run into trouble so oftentimes because it doesn't make sense to us. Surely it doesn't make sense to God. I've heard that many times. So we say, how could a loving God flood the earth? How could a loving God create a hell? How could a loving God? And we go through all of this stuff because it doesn't make sense to us. And what we do is we add this long list of if God was real, how could he allow this to happen as if there is no justice in the universe? But God says to us, there is justice so much so you cannot, you can have no control over that justice because we'll mess things up. So Jesus says, you don't, God says, you're not the one who deals out justice. I see all, I know all, I am the only one capable of dealing out justice. So we have to be careful because we have not witnessed or seen what the Creator witnesses and sees every single day. So we cannot bring our thoughts of God, bring the uh, God down to our own worldly ideology. Okay, We want to make sure God is exalted. There are things that we do not understand, we will not fully understand until we see Him. And that's important to remember. There's things you will not know on, and I will not know on this earth until we see Christ. And we have to be okay with that because we cannot fathom those things. Quickly before we start here, I want to give you uh, an instance with this about not fully understanding things. I've had someone ask me, well, how do we know God has always been? God has always been. He's been before time. How is that so? Everything has a beginning. Even the universe itself has a beginning. Time and space, everything has a beginning. But we need to consider this. The Creator, if the Creator is greater than His creation, then the Creator cannot have a beginning or an end and be the Creator of time. He must be greater than time. If He, if he created time, He must be greater than His creation. And the Creator is not bound by the laws of His creation. Therefore, if there is such a thing called time, which we witness every single day, then the Creator must be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. So God tells us there, I am before, after. I was before, I will be, I will always be. I am the Almighty. He's the creator of time. That's how God always was because he has to be greater than his creation. And evolutionists, Big Bang theorists, they will admit that whatever it was must be greater than the universe itself, whatever started it. But when you add in God, that changes everything because then you have an infinitely powerful God who oversees everything, and we don't want any part of that when it comes to our own lives so oftentimes. So, note, this is a mental note for you. Just because, when you look at this stuff, just because it's hard for us to understand does not mean it's impossible for God to do, okay? Just because it's hard for us to comprehend and understand what we see or what we read does not mean it's impossible for God, and it doesn't mean it's even hard for God to do that. Now, you might recall last week I asked you to remember something very, very important regarding the beginning of time. I asked you to remember that the, what was the first thing that God did. He demonstrated his infinite power by saying, let there be light. And the very first thing that God did is he demonstrated an unlimited 
power. Now, it's essential to remember that, that God did that as we move forward with this series. And why is that? Because that's another thing, actually, that Big Bang theorists and creationists actually agree on. These are the three things right here. We'll look at these. First thing we agree on is that there was a beginning. There was a beginning of time. Okay, so that's the first thing that we agree on. The second thing we agree on is that whomever or whatever started the universe, or they say the Big Bang, must be more powerful than the universe itself. We looked at that last week. And the third thing that we see, which we're going to look at today, is we agree that the building block of the universe from the very beginning of time was light. It's the very quintessential thing in the universe is light, the building block. And you can go all the studies, all this stuff. When you look at light, it's so important to remember that it is essential. The building block, the cornerstone of the universe is light. It's essential for life to actually be taking place right now. So we need to remember that. Remember light. Now let's take a look here in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Isn't that a great little cliff note God puts in there? And he made the stars also. We'll look at that in a minute. Verse 17. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So a couple things we're going to see here that God did all of this, and then he made the stars also. And then actually, next week, we're going to see that. We're going to focus in on, um, on that verse there about how he made, the, uh, not just made the stars also, but also how he made the heaven to give light upon the earth. We're going to look at that, and that's very interesting. But we have to notice something here quickly before we move on. This is just a side note. Notice that God waited until day four to create the stars and sun. Isn't that interesting? The stars are not the building block of the universe. Light is the building block of the universe. We can observe the stars, but where that first light came from, that's the big mystery to the scientists out there. Where did the first light come from? Okay, so we look at that and we go, well, obviously it came from God. They say, no, there's no way it couldn't. And what they do is man, the number one thing that man worshiped that's contrary to God is the stars, the sun, the moon, and the stars all over. They worship that. And this is so incredible to me that God didn't create those until later in his creation. You know what that shows us? The light of God's word was sufficient for the universe. For that entire time, God's word, the light from his mouth was sufficient while he created. It's just absolutely amazing. They did not come first. The light of God came first. And that's a differing opinion that we have there with the Big Bang theorists, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to look into, look at a couple things, put a couple of stuff into perspective. And we're going to look at stars tonight and we're going to look at light. And then we're going to see the most incredible discovery that I have read about in, in many years and just absolutely amazing. So the first thing when we think of a star, now I asked my kids, what is a star? The first thing they had, one of, uh, Nabo obviously looks up the sky, well there's the stars. 
James is more inclined to think this would be a star. So, no, that's not how a star is. And then if you're a classic literature type person or movies, then you think that's a star. That is the Death Star. We're not talking about that. What we're doing is we're talking about these type of stars, our own personal star, the sun, a million miles across our sun, absolutely massive. Now, when you think about the power of a sun, the energy that comes from that, it's very essential to life as we know it. In fact, the energy that we have on the planet, Earth here, comes from the sun. The potential energy, the kinetic energy, it can all be traced back to the sun, traced back to light. That's where we get our energy from, and it's important to remember that. Now, what is a star made of? A star is made up of, let's back this up, a clicker, hydrogen and helium colliding. That's very, very hot. Millions of degrees hot, colliding at a very high rate. We're not going to go into all that. Creates a, a nuclear reaction, explodes, goes out, creates a gravitational pull, falls back onto itself, and there's all these millions and millions of explosions taking place at once and you have this incredible star that's just literally just it's staying there it's not losing control of itself or blowing up or doing anything as it is as our sun is it's just holding there absolutely incredible we look at that and man looks at it like that and i said they worship it before but what we do is if we look at scientifically what a star is we see we can go in even deeper than that and neutron star the gravitational pull of an, just a neutron star is so intense that if you took a thimble, most kids don't know what a thimble is, um, we have lost that wonderful art. So if you took a, a thimble full of a neutron star, it can weigh as much as 100 million tons. Just the gravitational pull from that star. So you think about that, that's quite a lot. Now our sun compared to our earth, when we start to look at a couple of these pictures, is just massive. It could, a uh, solar flare could gobble us up very, very quickly. Our sun is actually 93 million miles away. If you were to run, if you were to start running, we got some runners. I don't, Al's not here today, but he is a really good runner. Uh, he would not even be able to make this. 1,774 years just to get there without stopping. It's a long way away. Now we put a couple things into perspective as we go along here and we see how hot is our sun. That's a question we ask ourselves because the surface is different than the core. So if you look at the surface of the sun, when you think about it's when we had a smoky summer this past year, my goodness, I felt like the sun was at least a couple of miles closer than it was because of how smoky it was, just ridiculous. We look at the core, the core of the sun is gonna be the hottest, obviously the hottest part. The outside here, where the gas is letting off, is expending so much energy, it's gonna have a cooler temperature. Now when we look at this, we see 10,000 degrees at the surface, which actually means if you have the right type of spacecraft, you could get a lot closer to the sun than you think you could. It's very interesting. You would actually die from radiation faster than you would from heat. So I don't know if you want like eyeballs popping up everywhere before you get there and then you'll die, but you would not die from heat, you would die of radiation before you got there. I don't know why you need to know that, but just remember that, okay, for something. Pull that out at a birthday party whenever you're throwing around useless facts, that's a good one. So 27 million degrees at its core, all right? Our sun is what God, God has given us to um, uh, uh, help sustain life on this planet. Now how powerful is the sun? If we look at megawatts, we're looking at seven perspective here, if we take the megawatt, you'll see popular um, uh, charts like this 
that looks at, you know, how much can one megawatt power, and you've got the, I have this for Chad, brew two, 2,400 pots of coffee. I mean to tell you, that right there, mighty fine. Okay, then we have the charge over 5,500 phones, host a bunch of, we don't wanna watch the Super Bowl anyway, we don't care about that. So we'll just say college football, college football parties, all this different stuff you can do with one megawatt. Now one megawatt actually is quite a lot, so much so that the Hoover Dam produces about 2,000 megawatts per year. Just that alone is enough power to supply all the electrical needs for over eight million people for an entire year. So that's a lot of power. Now that comes from the Hoover Dam, and we look at the, the energy that man tries to harness and produce. But you think about that and you put in perspective, our sun, which isn't a very big star, it produces three, uh, 380 billion megawatts every second. So that's a lot. You're getting a lot of energy coming from that. Okay? So we put stuff into perspective here where get an idea of just how powerful things are. One of the things that made me uh, fascinated with the sun back in the day is I was doing a study on Daniel and I read about Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar going, oh, you're not going to bow, huh? All right. Heat it seven times hotter. And you can hear the organ in the background, dun, 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 dun. So you're going to heat it seven times hotter and they're going to really kill these guys. They're not just going to kill them, they're going to really kill them. And I remember thinking, they had, must have had some way to heat it seven times hotter. It was hot because it killed the guys who threw them in. And I'm thinking about all this and I thought, I wonder how hot the sun was, you know? So I started to go through that and was like, oh my goodness. So God coming in to the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was nothing. <laughs> this is God that goes, yeah, I've got these out here, all these stars I've placed out here, but man's got his little bonfire, his little twig fire down there, and he's really mad, you know. And when you put things into perspective, it's like, okay, yeah, that's really not that big of a deal. Of course, I'm, I'm not the one that was being thrown in the fiery furnace, so I can say that and say it's not a very big deal. I'm sure for them it was probably different. Now, if we put another thing into perspective, we think about the destruction of man. And everyone loves pictures of atomic bombs going off, um, especially videos. Kids love it. And um, we look at the destruction that man has caused. You, from the little boy to the fat boy to all those, big boy, attaboy. And we've got the, the, just the mass destruction that man can cause with the nuclear explosion. This is a 21 kiloton bomb dropped in the ocean or down in, under the water, March 1st, uh, 1st, 1954. If you watch that video, it's incredible. Just the power of that nuclear reaction going off. I mean, blows up and it's, you've got these ships that are flying up in the air with it. Just huge, but that wasn't the largest one. We have the Tsar bomb, that, Tsar bomb, that was 51 megaton, a megaton bomb. And then there's been uh, speculation about what would a thousand ton megaton bomb do and you get pictures like this and what would happen if a meteor crashed and all this destruction but we look at just our sun and we think about how powerful our sun is our sun is the equivalent of 91 trillion megaton atom bombs going off every single second now when i say the word trillion it's hard to imagine but a trillion is one million one millions okay so if you had a million dollar bill or a million bill and you had a, a million of those, then you would have a trillion dollars. To give you some perspective, a million seconds ago was 12 days. A billion seconds ago was 31 years. A trillion seconds ago was over 31,000 years ago, which we were not here. 
Okay, so you see, you're, we're jumping up. When you go from million to billion to trillion, and we're gonna get higher than that, okay? So I know scientists and politicians are the only ones who fully understand what a trillion is. <laughs> it's hard for us to, but they, the politicians, especially in this, our current state, they know what the trillion is, no. So um, I always, I'm always flabbergasted when you start to compare the, the numbers to each other. Just amazing. You know, a million, a billion, now a trillion. Absolutely massive. So puts it into perspective whenever God in Psalms uh, 48.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. What can we not withstand when we have a sun and a shield guiding us? God compares himself as a sun and a shield. What a mighty tool, okay? What a mighty uh, example for us as we go forward. Now, our sun is not the only star, obviously, in the night sky. And we've talked about last week about how there are millions of galaxies out there, and you've got our, our superclusters, and then you've got the observable universe, and then you've got the, the um, entire universe, which they believe is even much greater. Uh, you can go back and watch that if I have all the numbers in there. Just absolutely incredible. But stars, there's so many stars out there. There has to be bigger stars than our star. Our sun is actually not very, very big. So how big can a star be? Now this is a popular um, demonstration here. And does anyone here golf? Does anyone like to golf? A couple of people golf, all right. So you will enjoy this, everyone else will not. So we're gonna just, we're gonna stick, we're gonna stick with that. So if the earth were the size of a golf ball, this is a popular example here, and you, you shrunk the golf ball down to the size of the earth, then what that does is that gives you an idea of how big other things are. So if the earth is the size of a golf ball and we look at one of the larger stars, this is Betelgeuse, this is a very large star out there in the universe. You could, inside of Betelgeuse, you could fit 262 trillion Earths inside of Betelgeuse. That's how big that is. That would be like going, taking your Earth golf balls and going to the Empire State Building, climbing all the way to the top, opening up a little hatch, taking your golf balls and pouring them down in and filling up the entire Empire State Building six times. That's how you, you get an idea of just how large that is. Now, that's not even the largest one that we see. We have other, um, other stars that are even larger than that. Another star is Musifi, not Mufasa. All you Lion King fans out there, I saw your ears perk up. No, we're not talking about that. This is Musifi. This is another giant star. Doesn't look like much, but it's actually massive. You could fit, this is crazy, inside of Musifi, you could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of Musifi. We're looking for, oh my goodness, how big is that? Measurements are right, how we measure stuff. You could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of that. What that is, is that's the equivalent of going to the Superdome down there in New Orleans. New Orleans or New Orleans, whatever you want to call it. And you take your golf balls that are each representing an Earth and you pop open the top and you fill that rascal up 3,000 times. That's how big Musifi is. Can I tell you this? Musifi is not the largest star that we know of. 
There are actually other stars out there that are larger to put in perspective how big God is and how powerful God is. Okay? Another one we see here is Cani Majoris. And this was, for a long time, was considered to be the largest um, star in the night sky. And you've got these old pictures and then pictures with different types of lenses and all like that. Just fascinating. Well, the size, uh, whenever you get into numbers, numbers get really, really crazy, which we talked about before. Cani Majoris is 600, for our best estimates, 613 million miles around. So to give you an idea of that, instead of getting into all the numbers, if you took your Earth-sized golf ball and you flew out, you went to Kathmandu, Nepal, and you went to Mount Everest, and you placed it at the base of the mountain range, then scientists and mathematicians say that would probably give you a good idea of how small the Earth is compared to how great that sun is. And what we do is we'll see mock-ups and we'll see pictures and different stuff like that. And you'll see stuff like this of Cani Majoris and our sun would be a, is too small for a dot compared to how large that super giant star is. It's just absolutely massive. And what happens is, is it's very, very hard for us to comprehend that. It's so big. God is so big and so powerful, man can't hardly comprehend it. You know, the interesting thing is, is I don't waste time trying to comprehend how powerful God is, because I can't. So what do I do with my time? Follow him, get in his word, try to be a disciple of Christ, try to live my life for the Lord. That, that's hard enough. We see stuff like this, we can't comprehend how powerful God is. How amazing God is. So we recognize that and we give God praise and we give him glory, but our minds cannot wrap around the magnitude of God. And God nowhere in his scripture says you need to understand, you need to fully understand how powerful and how gracious and how wonderful I am. God doesn't do that. Thank goodness he doesn't do that. God doesn't put those stipulations on man and our small minds. So another way you could describe um, is if you took um, the earth, uh, if you had your golf ball size earth, this is interesting. This is what another uh, mathematician did. Uh, you could take that. If you took your golf ball size earth and you went to Texas and you filled up the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep in golf balls, then you would get an idea of how large Cani Majoris is. So anyways, thought that was pretty interesting. But we're not going to go into it. Cani Majoris is not the largest star. There's even another star. This is called the Stevenson 218. We're not going to get into that right now, but you can go look that up at home. That's even larger. It's much more massive than Cani Majoris. So what is the point of all of this? When we get into this, what is the point? The point is, is that the sheer raw power and energy that is present in the universe cannot be comprehended. Yet, it is still humble and small in the presence of a creator. Now, let's take a look here real quick in Psalms chapter 100. Actually, oh, I have it up here. You don't have to turn there. Psalms 128, oh, sorry, 148, verse 3 and 5. This is what it says. Praise him, praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens and, uh, uh, praise him, ye heavens of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. How incredible when you stop to take that in, take that verse in. God commanded 
and they were created. One of the things about uh, old earth um, um, philosophy, theology, about God could not create the universe in the time that he stated. We saw that Thomas Chalmers with the gap theory, he felt like he could not defend God's timeline, so he tried to put in all this other stuff in there in between it. You look at the creator. God is not held captive by time. He's not held captive by the laws of his creation. He said, I created it all. Jesus Christ testified of it, and so did Moses. God said, I, I created it all in six days. Six days. He commanded, and they were created. If God had to create everything over a period of millions of years, he is not the creator. He's not more powerful than his creation because now he has to have time to work all this stuff and he's not the creator of time. So he has to be above that. And this incredible thing to me is, oh yes, I'll, all this other stuff of the Bible, absolutely, yes, this is good. But when it comes to Genesis, I really don't understand it and I can't defend it and I'm not going to let God's word stand on its own. So what I want to do is I'll go, yeah, I, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, and I'll slide that across the table to someone who doesn't believe in God at all for them to explain to me what actually really happened. And as Christians, we should not do that. We look at the Bible um, first and foremost. Now, we see our scripture here. It says, for he commanded and they were created. What I want you to do is I want you to turn in your Bible to um, Psalm chapter 148. Psalm 148. Oh, we're there. We're already there. But we're going to look at a different one. So turn to Psalm 148, and we'll be look at that in just a minute. Now, I want you to consider this as you're turning there. Consider this. Did God create the stars with his hands? No. God did not create the stars with his hands. God commanded and the stars were made. We see God spread out the stars other places in Psalms, God did not create those with his hands. He, he reserved that for his greatest creation, which was you and I. So God spoke and they were created. Now what I want to do is, is I'm going to show you um, one of the most incredible, most amazing discoveries I've ever seen or read about in my life. Now we talked about before, I mentioned this on the first night and then I mentioned again at the start, about what was the building block of the universe. The building block of the universe is light. Okay, that's very important to remember. Now, there are different agencies and companies, private contractors, that do these special type of testings on different types of elements, light, sound, and uh, vibrations, and different stuff like that. One of those is the Lawrence Livermore uh, National Laboratory in California. And what they do is, they, it's really cool, they come up with these really, they've got, they made defense weapons. They've made like these microwave type guns and all this type of stuff. Like there's neat, there's one guy, he's out there and they're shooting this microwave, this beam or this laser or something. And the reporter sticks his hand in the air and they just turn it on for a split second. And it was too hot for him to keep his hand. The thing was, he was like 600 yards away out in the desert, you know, when they hit him with it. So they were talking about like crowd control and other stuff like that. Strange, this past year, they did not use that anywhere. <laughs> we, could have, we could have borrowed it, um, or at least sent it over to a couple of folks. So there's really, if you look at their history, it's very, very fascinating, all the stuff that they do, the stuff that they come up with. Now, what they were doing is on April um, of 2011, 
what they were doing is they were testing, they were performing some tests on sound waves, looking at sounds. Uh, and obviously with the sound wave, you have, you get different extreme levels. So what they were doing was, is they had a chamber, actually in right there, and what they were doing is they were testing the power of sound. How could they utilize that other stuff? So messing with the sound waves, what they did is obviously, you know, the lower, the thicker the, uh, uh, the sound wave, the lower the sound is going to be, the higher and thinner, closer together. It means it's going to be a higher sound, a higher pitched noise. So what they did was is they began to test with those and they found that by increasing the sound volume in this chamber louder and louder and louder, they were getting different readings on their scopes and other stuff like that on their instruments. Now over the period of, I can't remember if it was a week and a half or two weeks or how long it was, they did all these tests, just checking, checking, checking. They have this specialized, for safety, this sound chamber where they can crank in the noise and the volume. So they began to pump that in, increase the volumes, getting louder, louder, louder. Over the period of, I think it was around two weeks, they had raised the volume to that of one million times the power that a human could produce. Because you have to have a measuring stick for everything, you know. So like we have AU's unit, uh, units called an astronomical unit, meaning 91 trillion miles from the Earth to the Sun. So space is so big, we take that 91 trillion miles and that becomes our inch, okay. And then we start going boom, 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 boom. So what they did here is testing volume. They said, what is the what's the capability of the human voice? and that becomes one unit. So what they did is they began to raise it and raise it and raise it, and they were over, as they were working on that, over one million times the strength of a human voice. And what they did in April of 2011, they discovered something incredible inside of that chamber. What happened inside the chamber when the volume got up to a certain state, a certain level of power, there were light particles not light beams, particles inside the sound chamber. And it blew everybody's mind. Oh my goodness, what just happened? They check their stuff, look through all this. They go back in, okay, they rerun it again. And it happens again, rerun it again, and they were floored. And it wasn't this massive, huge thing. It was just particles, speckles of light inside that sound chamber. They were floored. Science, several scientific magazines. I actually, I think it was Science Magazine is where I read about it back in the day, probably a, a year or so after um, it happened. They were all floored. Everyone's running um, these articles on it, how um, you have light discovered in a sound chamber. And the discovery was the power of sound at extreme levels could produce particles of light. Now, when we look at that, and we take that discovery that man just said. And if the building block of the universe is light, what came before light? Sound. Sound came first. The word came before the light. God's word preceded the light, the word of God. And God said, let there be light. And this is the incredible thing. In discovering that, to create the beginning light that sustains, not the stars, the beginning light that sustains the universe, there would have to be 
an unlimited, infinite amount of power to create that type of light from sound. So we have the Word of God preceding the light of God. The Word of the Creator started it all, and it took us all the way until 2011 to scientifically see that you can get light particles from sound. From the Word came light. Now, go read John chapter 1. And oh my goodness. <laughs> that you, you can't imagine. It, you look at God comes and God speaks. His word comes out of his mouth and dispels, cuts like a knife, the darkness. And God, the word came before his light, physically actually happened. And then the picture of the sun, the darkness of man's heart. And the sun comes down and the word came first. And then here comes the light and God comes to pierce the darkness of man's heart. And we see something physical and then we see something spiritual and what a beautiful way they go together. Now, whenever I saw that, I literally could not believe it. I read that article. I don't know how many times did this actually happen. Looked it up. Just incredible. We have to we have to consider this. The creator is greater than the creation. I know I've said it several times since we've started this, but I'm just going to say it again because we need to drill that into our brains. The creator is greater than the creation and the word of God preceded the light of God. Now, Psalm 147. This is something I want to leave you with this final thought and then we're going to be done today. Psalms 147 and verse 4. It says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. So if I can tell you that the Creator is greater than the creation, can I tell you this? The Creator knows His creation. The Creator is greater than the creation, and the Creator knows His creation. Can I tell you this? God knows your name. God speaks your name. The voice that started it all, infinite power, is the same still, small voice that speaks to you daily. In John chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, consider this. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. The Creator, the Savior, knows your name. The voice that started it all is the voice that speaks to you if you will only reach out to him. The Creator and the Savior knows your name not because of what you have done. Thank goodness. It's because of who he is. My goodness. It's not because of what Nathan has done, because me and my infinite puny state could never compare to the infinite power of the universe. And God does all of that. And he still says, 
Come, my yoke is easy. Hey, come take rest. I'll help you. He still reaches out to me. God knows my name. He's called my name not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. And he knew enough about me and you and still loved us enough to die for our sins. How incredible is that? Once again, we cannot fully fathom the love of God. We cannot fully fathom the power of God. We cannot fully fathom the grace of God. So I ask you to turn to Psalms 48. Psalms 148. Let's look in verse 3 one more time here. In verse 3. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. The voice that started it all has said your name. He has reached out to you. He has touched your heart. So what we should do is we should join. Listen, join the stars Join the sun, join the moon, and praise God. Praise Him. Let's read that one more time. Let it sink in. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Let's join the stars and praise our Creator who knows our name. Let's pray.